When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Santa, you could win in APCO's Cash for Chrissy competition. That's right, APCO Joe. There's 1K to brighten your day. And 1K to give away to a mate for Christmas. APCO's Cash for Chrissy, on now at APCO. <laughs> G'day and welcome to the Spirit of Sport on Sydney's newest home of sport, 1170 SEN. I'm your host, Jason Stevens. I'm so glad you're able to join us for tonight because my special guest is the former champion Cronulla Sharks hooker, Dean Treister. Across his eight years playing for the Sharks, Dean played over 165 games and grew to become a crowd favourite, as well as my favourite. One of my greatest memories of playing with him was against the final against the mighty St. George Dragons, my own team. And uh, I remember Dino picking up on multiple occasions former Dragons hard man Jason Rolls and just a man, let me just say, who's at least three times his size, driving him back, picking him up and just getting up and doing it again. Because that wasn't a one-off, that was just how he rolled. Tough, uncompromising. And nowadays, he's living in California. He owns and operates the largest sampling company in the world. He does that alongside his beautiful wife, Kylie, three children, Riley, Lockie, and Indy. Dean Treister, welcome to the Spirit of Sport. My goodness, that was quite an introduction, mate. I need to uh, make sure I get a copy of that. <laughs> do, do, you remember, do you remember? I just remember that game because I'll tell you, I'll tell you why with that St. George one, because... There was talk then that Jason Riles was the new front rower coming through for New South Wales. And I remember you said to me before, don't worry, I've got your back, I've got your back. And he just, you know, he's a very big man, extremely hard to, to, to bring down. But you picked him up and were driving him back. And I was just, just like, oh, this guy, mate. You remember, do you remember that at all? Do you remember that game? Mate, I, I, I do remember the game and I do remember a couple of good hits on him, but it's quite funny, you know. The um, I, I've had the opportunity to to run into to him a few times and he's actually business partners with um, Craig Clifton, our old um, trainer. Oh, yes. And so, who I'm very close with. And, and so I've run into him a few times and it's come up not only about that game, but about the actual... Uh, how competitive it was between us. And, you know, he, he was a, a big dude, he but was. he really was, he was like that big, lanky style that really, I, I didn't have too many problems to, to sort of be able to leverage. Because you, got, hard you got under him. You got up under him, I remember. You really got up in his guts and got up under him and picked him up. I remember that. Yeah. So... So the tall, like the guys like him, you know, he was really tall, and he was a great player. Mate. He was, he a fantastic was. coach now. So I'm not sort of putting that down, but no. but that style of a player, I didn't struggle against, and I really had pretty pretty good luck against him in, in the defensive side. Where I struggled with the big guys like like yourself, who had the big ass <laughs> and the big legs, <laughs> and you could throw in a big Those tummy. You could throw in a big tummy away there. <laughs> And yeah, those right. are the ones I struggled against. But, but uh, yeah, but, mate, 
It's, no, good um, memories. Good, it was great playing those Good games. memories, yeah. They were always hard games, the ones against Saints. Uh, the local derbies were, were ones we always tried to get up for, particularly that one, which was a, a final or a semi-final, I think. So, um, no, but I, I have great, yeah. great memories of, uh, you know, because, Dino, when I, when I look at you, like, you you weren't a physically big man by any means. Um, strong strong in the gym, determined, but, but really, like, you know, for me, for you to have played so many years at such a high level, uh, it says a lot really about your character and about, you know, your just determination once you've set yourself a dream and a goal that, you, that you're going to go for it and you're going to make it happen. And I think, you know, that's what I want to talk about a bit later with, with your business stuff. I don't think a lot of people would really understand the magnitude of what you've achieved because we're talking now, you're, you're in California at the moment. Yes, over in Orange County, mate. So, you know, it, it's it's always throughout. It's never ever failed, mate. You've got a clear vision for what you're trying to what you're trying to get after, whether it be sport, business, or whatever. There's always challenges. Always something that you know um, you got to be bigger. You got to be stronger. You got to be faster, whatever mm. you know, that might be. Or in business, you know, you got to have that education or that background. But it really comes down to, in my mind, and it's proven itself time and time and time again, if you're willing to work harder than the next person and really have clear understanding, don't complicate it, clear understanding of where you're going, without a doubt it puts you in way better chance for, for making it and success. And once you've worked hard for it, mate, it's so hard for someone else to come and take it from you if you're willing to keep doing that hard work. So. Well, Just like in football, there was way better players than me growing up, like way more talent and skillful and knew the game better. But one thing I definitely prided myself on is my ability to to, to outwork people and really have that, that mental side of it. So. Well, I want to share a bit about that journey a little bit later, but let, let's because it's a fascinating sort of lead up to, to where you are now. I think a lot of people would be surprised at what is it. He's in uh, Laguna Beach, Orange County. Uh, how you got there? Let's talk about that a bit later. But just for the moment, we have some getting to know you type questions uh, for our interviewees. Mm-hmm. We just, you know, so we can uh, just whatever comes to mind. Like, for example, first concert. First concert would have been uh, ACDC. Daka daka. That's a hard one to. That's a big Mate. one. That's a big one to get yep. to, and it's hard to. Hard to beat. Oh, dude. <laughs> you probably started with the best. Mate, I went and and I went to like five in a row. <laughs> they they were my first concert and my my next like seven. <laughs> <laughs> You're a big fan. What about your first job? First job, well, mum and dad actually. Um, I used to work on uh, over the you know weekends and holidays in the business, so. I'd have to say, you know, sweeping up, cleaning up around the factory, that would have been one of my first jobs. My first job outside of the family business was pumping uh, petrol, pumping gas, they call it over here, pumping petrol, and I lasted uh, one day. They let me go. I was not good at it. (laughs) That happened to me. I I got it. Well, they let me go because I I didn't turn up again. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that a a day gone past where people – they, they they do the petrol for you. They they pour your petrol. Gee, that's a, oh, that's a day gone past, hasn't it? Far out. Yeah, it shows how old we are, mate. What's your most embarrassing moment? 
Most embarrassing moment. Um, I'd have to go on a sporting field. Um, was when we're playing uh, in my first year of, the, of first grade, and we got a penalty right in front of the goal. And I thought it'd be a really good idea to tap, tap, like tap the ball, quick tap, and actually get over the line. But that was like ten seconds after ET had already pointed to the goal and say we're going to kick for goal. And so we actually blew the whole opportunity to score two points or score the try, and that was really embarrassing. And I copped it from John Lane. I've actually got called Pumpkinhead <laughs> from John Lane. So that was pretty embarrassing. What about your favourite movie? Favourite movie? Um, yeah, it depends what mood I, I'm in, but mate, Shawshank Redemption is just a quality movie. You just, you know, it's one of those legendary ones. So many just people have said that. Scraped out. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, most, so many of my guests know, have said that. They've said that for movie. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's just one and, of those movies. That and like I've said to them, what they've said, like I've said to them, was that it was a box office f- failure, that movie. Really? Absolute failure, flop. And then it only made its money back and more once it went to, you know, wasn't DVD even back then. It was tape. Um, ah. Their word of mouth spread and... And it became this cult hit, and and you know we know it as as, a, as the classic that it is today. But yeah, it was an actual actual uh, flop at the the box office. So I don't feel too bad about my. Wow. <laughs> 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 I was going to say, but I forgot the name. That? Well, you would have had to have watched it to remember the name. <laughs> I did watch it. I just I, pet- got, I got hit in the head too many times. <laughs> what's your pet hate? Pet hate is fake people. A person from history you'd like to have met? Um, yeah, I think, um, you know, I was watching a documentary on John Lennon the other day. It's, he's fascinating, mate. Oh, really? What did you learn about him? Yeah. Mate, it was, he was sort of portrayed as a bit of a nutter. And watching the documentary, he sort of, he had a lot of depth into what he was trying to do. I'd, I'd like to sort of uh, sit down and have a chat with him about that. I, I definitely found it interesting. You like the movie, um, as a side note, it's called Yesterday, which is, it's based on what happened if the Beatles uh, never never became the Beatles and there was no Beatles. And there's a guy in it who's an aspiring musician who who has a has a, Bit of an accident. I saw it. Did you see that? And then they meet John Lennon in it. I did. I, I thought he did a great job, that guy. Yes. Did you and see that? and yeah. that was over in England, and I did see it. I did see it. It was a good movie. Something you wish you were better at? Ah. Uh, spelling. <laughs> I know the voice to text thing and all that it, it, it saves me a bit I've got to be honest with you for half the words I forget and I'm, and I'm a writer <laughs> mate I know my spelling is that bad that even the autocorrect doesn't get it I goes what am I doing <laughs> I don't know what you're doing I can't help you <laughs> the, the thing you did growing up that made your parents the most upset oh arguing back and um, not washing the dishes. My mum used to smash the dishes. 
<laughs> the biggest thing you've been nervous about? Uh, having kids and getting married and all those big events. Each one, I get really nervous around all those things. Were you nervous, um, like on the day of the wedding or before, leading up to it, or? Yeah, the day of the wedding, leading up to it, and then, you know, when uh, the first time I held my oldest, he's eighteen now. That was those are the times I get really nervous. It's funny, it, it, it's not funny. They're the times I get nervous. The other, I think mean, I don't like scary movies. I get I get scared. I don't get nervous. Yeah. No, it's same those here. sort of uh, big events where I get nervous. What's a lesson that's taken you the longest to learn? The lesson would be believing in, in in yourself through the hardest times, through the through the biggest challenges, is believing in yourself. And time after time, I question myself, but then always, always it works out, and you know, look back at me and say, "Why did I stress about it?" Faith in yourself and doubt—they can coexist. You know, I think a lot of people, you know, who who make it. Um, that, that doubt, it's not, it's not like that doubt ever goes. It's just you end up doing it regardless of, you know, how you're feeling or your thoughts about yourself. You just keep going and keep going forward. And um, I think you'll be, we'd all be waiting a long time if we ever, if doubt or fear, we we're waiting for that to leave, that feeling to go before we actually made a move. And sometimes the, the presence of it even is a, it, it even pushes you sometimes towards, you know, the, the dream or, you know, making sure you you give it everything, don't you think? And it's, it's okay, I think, sometimes for the two to, to coexist. Faith in yourself and doubt, they can coexist. You know, I think a lot of people, you know, who, who make it, um, that, that doubt, it's not, it's not like that doubt ever goes. It's just you end up doing it regardless of, you know, how you're feeling or your thoughts about yourself. You just keep going and keep going forward and, um, I think you'll be. We'd all be waiting a long time if we ever, if doubt or fear, we we're waiting for that to leave, that feeling to go before we actually made a move. And sometimes the the presence of it even is a, it, it even pushes you sometimes towards you know the, the dream or you know making sure you you give it everything, don't you think? And it's, it's okay, I think, sometimes for the two to to coexist. It definitely and and. You, you, if you don't have that feeling in your stomach about, you know, this is a risky thing to do, then typically it's not even worth it, mate. So that's whether or not asking a girl out on a date, getting those butterflies, it's worth it. Or starting a business or doing a film. If you don't have those butterflies, mate, it's worth it. It doesn't, it's not that it's going to be a game changer for you. So I agree. I agree. Well, you know, let's let's talk about. I want to talk about. I mean, you achieved a lot in footy. Um, you know, there's there's no doubt about that. But I've got to say, what really interests me more so, apart from the great career that you had, is is really what we've touched on already. Is is you making taking risks and and building uh, towards a, a, a business career that that. You know, took took a lot of us by surprise. I remember you did, you retired. What year was it? Two thousand three was it? From memory, or two thousand four? Yeah, that's right. Two thousand four is my first year off out. So, so you you left the Sharks. It was it was under sort of 
um, Chris Anderson that you two didn't sort of see eye to eye. How did that all play out for you to move to, to Hull FC? Yeah, so, um, you know, one of the, I've been, I'd been in Cronulla my whole life. I'd grown up loving the Sharks and, and just full passion for the Sharks. And, you know, I, honestly, I didn't have that skill set of a naturally gifted rugby league player that grew up playing it from seven years old, all that sort of stuff. I really had to play at my, my highest level I could each week. And to do that, you have to have that passion. And, and that was really where... Um, I had that passion for the Sharks. So then I was so lucky to have great coaches around me at the Sharks, people like John Lang and good support base, people like Paul Watson and even other players like yourself and, and, and Matty Rogers and Dicey and Nick Grant, all of the peach. These guys were very, the whole team was very supportive and that environment really helped me excel, right? So then... When that started to change um, with the change of coach, it sort of took um, took me a little while to, to adjust. But funny enough, I, I think I actually played some of the best football under Anderson because he was so brutal in, in his relationship with me and expectations. And, and so that really helped me take it to a new game, but it also took its toll. And so when things started to not work out. Um, and, and I do believe Chris Anderson, you know, I, I now have the opportunity to look back on these things. I definitely didn't handle the situation. I was the, the, the younger guy, you know, very emotional. And as a coach, as a senior person, as a leader in an organisation, Chris Anderson really had the, it, the weight was on him to help sort through it, if he saw fit. And I don't believe Chris Anderson ever had good intentions for the club, for the team, besides the intention was for him to fully own it. Him and that other guy that was um, his offsider, Theo the, 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 um, the Burgess. So they really had a game plan that, that was not of good intent. It was really about them taking control and, and destroying what was there in the past. And, and so I was just a bit of a fallout from that. And the way I reacted to him and what he did, I look back and I could have handled it way better. But at the same time, I think as I've proven, as it's proven throughout you know my life, it happened for a reason. And it's the best thing that ever happened to me leaving the, the, that, the Sharks at the time. I still love the Sharks and very passionate about them. But it was the best thing, and um, if it didn't happen, I don't know where I'd be now. So, well, there's no, there's no doubt you love the sharks. I mean, in 2016, you you, you took your whole family <laughs> from, from LA for the grand final, and, and it's, six, it's a 13,000 <laughs> 13, kilometers for for one game. And uh, there's there's no doubting. And let me just tell you. Dean Tristan each flies uh, business class. So that was quite an expense to, uh, to go to. I'm not saying your kids did, but I'm just saying that's quite an expense to show you. No, they did. They did. <laughs> 
Well, there you go. But there's, uh, there's no doubting your love. There's love and your love and passion uh, for the Sharks. But I guess that was a different type of relationship to, to what you had with John Lang because you've, you've often said that he was like a father figure to you. Can you share a bit about your relationship with him and the impact he had on you? Yeah, it's like Johnny Lang, Shane Richardson, Paul Watson, that that you know Craig Clifton. These guys are they helped uh, develop me. Obviously, my mum and dad a massive influence, and they helped create who I am. But from the age of eighteen to the age of twenty five, twenty six, I think these guys really impacted and directed me. That has helped me in my business career and, and Johnny was a father figure he definitely took me under his wing not only as a footballer but in general um, to, to, to show me what it takes to, to really make the difference right and, and people talk about I want to be successful and I want to do something but the, what it actually takes and you know people like Paul Watson um that he showed me discipline, what it takes to turn up every single day. And, um, you know, Langy showed about honesty and loyalty. And I know uh, not everyone had the best interaction with Richo, with Shane Richardson, but for me personally, Richo taught me a lot about the business side as well and how, you know, that that side of the business, I was very fortunate to, to have that sort of relationship as well. So, mate... I was in a bubble, and I think a lot of us were, um, and that bubble was such a positive influence during that period of time. And that's why I guess it was such a brutal confrontation when that bubble burst. And it did have to burst, but I've got no no sort of um, anger or negativity towards the board for making that decision to, to bring in Chris. But at that point, and it really showed as well pretty quickly, Chris Anderson, I think only lasted two or three years, and... The year after I left, he was out the door in quite a a negative way. So, um, uh, yeah, but again, Mm. on the whole experience with the Sharks and and that team, not only Langy, but the whole environment that was developed, um, I'll never forget it. And it changed me, and and I'm so proud of of everyone that I know from those times and to say I was part of that as well. Even though we didn't win, you said that you said that in the past that you, you've learnt a lot from the sharks. And if it wasn't for the sharks, you'd be living in Oakdale in a caravan, <laughs> owned by your mum. <laughs> you'd be broke. Well, you'd be homeless. You've got to tell us that story because yeah. here we are. You retired, and the next thing I know, Dean Treister has cracked it in the states, and has one of the biggest companies. <laughs> Sampling in the States, it's now the biggest. But you've got to tell us that story because we're using words like broke, homeless, and we're just rattling them out there. But the journey of that, particularly, can I say, when, uh, you know, you're carrying the weight of a dream, but you've got a family and, you know, responsibilities. Tell us that story because I I found it fascinating. Yeah, so... When I retired, um, I was really fortunate that my family, my mum and dad always included me and really encouraged me to be part of, of um, business meetings and just understanding the business side. They were entrepreneurs, multiple different companies going through. But even when I was playing football, you know, I opened up a design agency and 
and always had that knowledge and belief that football was only part of my story, that I was always going to go and move into the business side. But when it did happen, it was very confronting. So um, I didn't, the transition for me from being a professional sport or professional footballer into business I would say it's way smoother and, and way easier than um, 90% of my mates uh, for people we know that did it because I had something to go to and it was still brutal. So, mm. you know, it's, my mum and dad and, and mainly my mum helped me invest. And, and so I got out of football. I had my own house. I had an investment place and all that. And I stepped straight into the business. So... Um, we were really only set up to supply the Australian market and of the sampling tools. So again, if you go into Bunnings and you're looking for window coverings or flooring, the little samples that you look at, that's what my company does. They make them. Mm. And it was really set up just to supply to the Australian market. Now, one of our customers is a massive global company called Hunter Douglas. They supply Luxaflex in Australia, window coverings. They... Uh, have been a long relationship with us. They invited us to go over to the U.S. Um, and start to sell into the U.S. market through our China uh, manufacturing facility. We opened up a little facility in China, and during that time they heard about it, invited us over. When we came over to the U.S., they said, we really want you to come over. Here's a business partner that we, that we know. And there was a gentleman by the name of Jack Molstein, and um, he'd been in the U.S. window covering market, his home improvement market, for a long time. And um, they introduced us to Jack, and Jack invited me to come over and for um, uh, for us to expand into the U.S. market, which meant that we had to go and develop a bigger facility. So we went, uh, okay, let's go do it. And what that took was capital. So every bit of money that I made in football, we um, had to reinvest into the business and millions of dollars got invested into the business, including the Australian business. So we put everything on the line on the back of expanding the business into the US. And we built this big facility in China had 500 people at the time and um, with a new business partner over here. And the it was a 50-50 partnership, all that sort of stuff. And so I moved the family to New Jersey. We're over here in New Jersey and everything seems to be going okay, no real problems. And I had to go back to Australia with the family for a wedding, my wife's uh, brother's wedding. When we're back in Australia, and this was – the first introduction to how cutthroat and ruthless business is in the US. Mm. When I was in Australia for a wedding, my business partner in the US wrote an email with a contract saying that he now owned our entire company, that he owned the facility, everything that we had invested, he was taking control of and that he had the relationship and was the only one allowed to talk to customers unless I was given approval, which pretty much he was saying, I'm taking everything and if you don't like it, I am going to take all the business somewhere else and you're left by yourself. So 
We'd invested millions of dollars. Wow. We had, had planned on, on I'd, I'd fully mortgaged the house. I'd, I'd, everything had gone into it, including all of the Australian business. And my mum was also on the line. Everything was riding on it. And this guy then says to us, if you don't sign this contract, I'm taking the business and I'm going to take it somewhere else. You're at a wedding and you get an email oh, and you must have went yes. white. You must have went white. Oh, mate, I, it was one of the most scariest. I couldn't even believe it. was surreal what I was reading. And so I'd already rented a house over here in New Jersey. I had bought a car. I had everything set up because we were here. We were committed. This is in 2006. We're committed to get it done. And, mate, um, we had a decision to make that we were either going to use the last of our money to come over and tell him we're going to rip up the contract and you go do what you do and we're going to come back and sell to the market. So um, So, so we made the decision to tell him. So can I just ask, what happened to the the person who introduced you to this person? Did he have any... Did he have any thoughts during this time the, the with Luxaflex? Was yeah, it, so, what, what? yeah, so good question. Good, good, good question, Steve. So the introduction was through um, Hunter Douglas, right? Hunter Douglas. And um, they had had a long relationship with Jack, and that relationship was a good relationship, meaning that they earned a lot of money from Jack. Now... Um, they took a step back because, um, you know, from the whole deal, because uh, obviously Jack didn't have the best reputation after the fact. We All of a sudden we start talking to a few people and we understand that he really doesn't have that good of a reputation mm. and he's done this sort of thing to other people. And, and honestly, Steve, the fact that um, he had done this to other people, and not identical, but very similar. It was the best thing that ever happened, right? Because we made a decision to come back. When we came back, I turned up to my house, my family, my kids. He had sent his son into my house and cleared out everything out of the fridge, out of the cupboards, and thrown it out. And took my car. That was in the business name that he owned half of, mind you. But, but. My house was completely left open, took all of my, including my Vegemite, took everything. <laughs> and <laughs> and I ter- he took everything, including oh, my Vegemite, that's... and and I ended up um, walking in, and this is like a two, three-month period before I came back, and my neighbors thought that something had bad had happened to us. They thought we died because all of a sudden things are cleared out, and our neighbours came over and we only knew them for like two months before we left and it was really weird time. But we ended up coming back and we were down to, I think, probably no more than one month worth of money to keep going, right? And we had no work, no one wanted to support us, we were done. And a couple of things, right? So I remember one night sitting on the step of our house and it was it was – the bottom, like I had hit rock bottom, right? I had no, we had, there was nothing looking like we were going to survive. And I rang up Matty Rogers 
and we're just sort of talking and and, and I was saying I just broke down. I, I I had thrown everything at it and it did not seem like it was ever going to turn because no one really wanted to talk to us. I won't go into the whole thing, but it was where the new player on the market, no one knew us and so it's a big risk, right? And so I thought I had nothing left and I rung up Maddie and and I said, mate, I'm struggling. Like this is, I don't think we're going to make it. And he said, we started talking and he said, mate, don't give up on it. You can keep going and fight through it and they, you know, you'll get there and all that. But he was also just coming back to the Gold Coast and he was struggling with going for rugby union back to league and how heavy a trainer, I forget the guy's name, but you remember him, the Aussie trainer. He was brutal. Um, Billy Johnston? Yeah, you know, that's it. Billy Johnston was training him and just kicking his ass, right? Wow. So we're sort of both crying on each other's shoulders at the time. And that one little, that one lift, you know, from an ex, from a guy I played with, within a week, Steve-O, all of a sudden, everything turned. And I went from absolutely, it was it was broke, done. And when I talk broke, I had, I had nothing, mate. We were over-leveraged on the house. The bank, uh, the, the loan was higher than what the house was worth. And so if it did not turn, I would have been moving back to Australia from New Jersey and living on in a caravan on my mum's. That was like the alternative, mate. My mum had sort of bought a farm and mum and dad split up and she moved up onto the farm and we are looking at options of what happens. And um, wow. I was also, you know, I won't go, it's a long, long story, but um, my business partner, Anthony, he also invested money from that he lent from his daughter and he was also looking down the barrel losing everything. So it wasn't me. And from that moment, Steve-O, like I'm telling it was rock bottom. Everything was done to where we are, you know, what we've achieved. I look back, and it even feels good talking about it because it challenges every day, whatever whatever business or personally, whatever. You can get through it, mate. And when you think you're the furthest away is when you're the closest. And, And as long as you're willing to work hard, as long as you're willing to fight it out, but what happened in that week? What happened to, to change that situation? I'd, lo- I'd love to know. Really? <laughs> oh, okay, so this is a funny story, and, and it's meant to be, right? Mm. So there was one one customer, one customer who lived around who their factories around the corner from me. This guy had a marketing guy who was an Englishman. I invited him over for a barbecue, and we became like a bit friendly. He was the head of marketing. And he wasn't going to do any business with me, like zero. But because he's an Englishman and living in New Jersey, he said, "Let's get the families together." Chris John is his, John's is his name, and mate, he came over for a barbecue, and I shared with him the story of Jack, what what happened, and he said, "Dean, turn up on Monday and tell this story to the owner of Prestige." And um, this owner of Prestige, he was mad, mate. Cut as mad as a cut snake. Just really out there, alcoholic. Really, a, a bit of a criminal himself. But I went down there on a Monday. On the Monday, and we went out for lunch. And at lunch, 
it was like a full-on mafia scene, right? We, we, we went into lunch, and we're sitting in this Italian restaurant, and I share the story word for word with, um, uh, with this guy that owned the business, and he said, you know what, Dane? I believe everything you're saying. And I said, well, it's the truth. And he said, the reason I, I believe it is because I know this guy and he's done it to other people and he's tried to do it to me. And the guy's name was Joel Botwick, who owned this company. And Joel said, you have now got me in your corner. It's all started from a barbecue. Wow. And he said, come back, come back, to, my, come back to the office. He owned a company called Prestige. And no word of a lie, steve he walks me in walks into his marketing department and says, who owns this business? You do, Joel. They, like, it was a full-on, it was a weird situation. And he said, everyone, I am giving this guy all of our work. Everything that we do, he gets it. And so then he walks out of the, the room. And um, so at that point, they all go, yeah, whatever, Joel's just drunk. And so I go in with Chris Johns, who's the head of marketing. He didn't know it was going to go this way. And Chris goes, you know, I'll give you everything, but I can't give you everything. Some things are in motion, blah, blah, blah. He said, let's work it out. So I go home. The next day, out of nowhere, so this is now Tuesday or Wednesday, Joel Botwick rings me up and he goes, Dean, how much work have we given you? And I said, Joel, we're working through it. You know, we'll see. And, and I won't swear. He said, mate, get in the car and come down right now. So I hopped in the car and he walked me back into their office and he ripped them. He said, who owns the business? Unless you give me money, you do what I tell you to do. Now, give this guy projects. And he said to me, you do not leave this office until you've got purchase orders. So then Chris, and then he walks out and and Chris John walks me down to the finance department and issues me purchase orders that are blank, like no dollar figure on them of just projects. So I walked out of there with something like 10 projects and then that's where it started. So then Joel rings up all these other companies in the U S and starts introducing me to them all. And it's all because he hated Jack. And so wow. all of a sudden people are starting to know who I am. And that's where it started, mate, is <laughs> a guy that's like everything over here, like everything over here mate. Oh. It always takes a turn because Joel Botwick, Prestige, ended up going broke. And he would only pay me if I would go down and have lunch with him and drink half a bottle of vodka. So he would not pay me until I drank with him. And so it ended up, uh, I would have been he ended trouble. up passing away. He did. I'm sorry about yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, far out. I mean, that's, anyway, that's in- funny story, mate. I haven't said this story for a long time. Well, it's a great, it's a great story because I mean, you know, you, the thing is you, you stayed in the fight and I think to be honest with you, Matty Rogers has, has played a, a just at the right time, a timely word can change someone's life. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's the importance of trying to be kind to yeah. each other and also just like, um, you know, because you don't know what someone else is going through. But then, but this this word of just never giving up and getting through, when he was probably struggling in himself, like you said, um, that's a game that's that's a game changer. And then for things to fall 
um, in place. But how did you how did you sort of handle the the times with your wife? Like, did it have an impact on you guys? And I mean, so many, you know, I. I I, I interviewed recently Michael Butner. You remember Mick Butner we played against, and um, yeah, yep. So he's doing stuff with the homeless. He's finding he's in a thing called Pass It On Clothing and finding clothes for the homeless and hearing stories. A lot of the, a lot of the people that he sp- speaks to who are homeless were successful businessmen, believe it or not, who lost it all. Mm. Uh, they lost their relationship and then they lost you know their marriage and so forth. So how did you keep it together? Like I mean, I think your wife. She's she's her own. She's a bit of a bulldog herself. Do you know? What I mean, she's got a tough. You know, she's compassionate. Don't get me wrong, but she's got a, a sort of a determined stance too. Yeah, it's it, it's it's interesting, mate. Because often um, when you're going through these sort of challenges, so she, mate, she came into my life when the challenges with Chris Anderson. We're going down. We just got married, just had a little kid, then moved over to Hull. And then we come back, and two years later, we're over in the US, and we're going through all of this. And and seriously, mate, I'm talking about we couldn't even afford to buy a car, couldn't afford even to rent a car. I had a lady rent a wreck, uh, a lady down in New Jersey who felt sorry for me, gave me a car for six months because she felt sorry for me, now, the car didn't have brakes. She, and this is a car from all for Kylie. So we were like living week to week, you know, paycheck to paycheck. And um, you need a strong person beside you to go through that, mate. And so, um, you know, the, 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 the fact that we were by ourselves over here really we had no one else that we could rely on but each other. Mm. And that brought a strength um, to the relationship. Now, after, that's when it's, it's easy to come together. It's actually quite, it goes both ways, I think. I think, I only know my relationship. It either brings you together or it destroys you, right? Mm. And I'm very fortunate that Kylie is a very strong person and very loyal. And so that really brought us together but when you then go through the next phase of success and all that you go through a different progression of a relationship and and then it's it's like as you grow older it continues to evolve and change and you need to keep on on re-looking at it because you can't be that tough person tough relationship forever Mm. and so it's interesting you sort of you bring that up but with what you're saying about the homeless people, a lot of them are ex, um, you know, you know, successful business people. Mate, one thing I, I'm fortunate to, to be in is an organisation that's um, that has a, a well, it's young presence organisation. A lot of successful sort of um, business people, and what what is very common is that they don't have, and, and I know it in myself. I can't. You, you don't look at risk the same way. And so a lot of people would get to a position and they'll go, oh, you know, I'm really happy just to be here. I don't want to keep risking it. But the reason that often these people are successful is because they don't see risk the same way. And so they could have a $100 million company and they're willing to risk it all for $200 million. And it's an all or nothing. There's no in-between. 
And and so it's not sort of surprising that there's a lot of homeless people that used to be very successful business people because that's what they're built to do. And it's just whether or not they get broken, you know what I mean? Mate, absolutely. And I, I think, um, you know, just to, to circle back to some of the lessons from league, I think you've, you, you've been a, a, an amazing example how, you know, you've, you've been able to use so many of the principles that were taught to us um, about just even when I talk to you, I learn stuff, just reevaluating, being, you know, being able to, to um, you know, with an open mind, humble yourself and do things differently, um, change with different seasons and so forth. Because even with the Chris Anderson experience, different different seasons of your life, you try to adapt. It doesn't always work out, but at least being sort of um, open to change. Um, I think, you know, for yourself, that's been a, a real a real strength to be able to move with changing times because, you know, you've been in the States during this whole COVID thing and I'm just interested to know how that, how, did that affect your business? Did it affect, I mean, obviously you know, America was hit so hard. It's hard, even hard for us Australians to sort of, you know, understand the magnitude of the amount of deaths and so forth. Did that, did that have an impact and how did you navigate those, those tricky times? Yeah. So, um, the, without a doubt, it seems to be over here. I don't know about so much in Australia, but definitely in the U S you're either, it's pretty black and white that you're either on the good side of COVID in business, I'm talking, or on the bad side of COVID. And, um, you know, uh, businesses like hotels or restaurants, to no fault of their own, you can't predict what happened and you can't plan for what happened. And so doesn't that a lot of those businesses have failed and it's not because they're bad business people. But on the other side, if you if you find a you know a, um, a chemical company that's for sanitising, all of a sudden you're not a better business person because all of a sudden your sales <laughs> went up three hundred percent. You just happen right. to be yeah. in a lucky position, right? That's right. In our business, um, we've had we did, without a doubt it's affected it. I would say fifty fifty. So. Some of our, half of our business, which was really reliant on the commercial, so hotels, um, uh, restaurants, those big office buildings, that has been seriously affected. While the other side, which is really servicing the residential, has seen um, growth. And uh, all in all, it's had, a, I would say, it's a negative effect on our business, but we then took the opportunity to restructure. And, and much like business, uh, business, much like sport, you've got to, so many people lie to themselves that probably do it, it'll be okay, and don't like to confront the issues. And so, so, so in Dana, sport, you, every week... We can you just out. repeat that last, because it cut out, sorry, when you said that last bit, that last sentence. Uh, yeah, people people lie to themselves and, and you know, they, they don't want to face the reality that you need to make decisions and you need to quickly move. And much like in sport, every Monday, you and I would be sitting in a video room that there's no hiding. You had mm. to confront. If you missed a tackle or you weren't playing something, you, would, you could not hide from it. Mm. And so that lesson of doing that, uh, I think has been one of the, the reasons we to adjust quickly on different things is because I'm not I'm, I'm really okay with 
really looking at our business and saying, okay, we need to adjust quickly. And mm. so um, we've been able to adjust. Is it enough? We don't know where it's going to go yet. You know, it's, it's like you mentioned footy and it's 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 those, I think the only silver lining sometimes after you have a loss um, is that it, there was always an opportunity then to learn from it, you know, and it's probably, you know, when you lose or when you when you're under the pump or things aren't going your way, it's probably then that you're most receptive to feedback and you're most receptive to, to change when, when things are in that, that sort of, you know, harder place. But, you know, your story is really, really one of, of it's for me, it's, it's a gutsy, it's a gutsy entrepreneur, which is what you, you were showing signs off when you were playing. You had nerves of steel. I'm sure there were times where, where it was, they didn't feel like you had nerves of steel, but you're a guy that has survived the hard times. And that was the biggest reason I wanted to talk to you, apart from the fact that, you know, you've been a great uh, friend to me and I love having honest conversations with you. It's just, it's just the fact that no matter how bad it looks, you know, if, you, if you're still in the ring, then there's, you, there's still opportunity to, to win. But if you jump out of the ring... It's it's over, but you stayed in the ring. You were getting beaten to a pulp, but you stayed in the ring. And mate, I'm really happy for your success, and I'm I'm I love the fact that it hasn't changed you apart from the business class flights for everyone. You haven't. <laughs> you've been, you're, the, you're the same. Yeah, which you should do, which you should have and treat yourself. You deserve it. You, you still treat people the same, and and yeah, uh, you know, there's you're the same good knock around bloke, and. I just love people with big dreams. You know, for me, it just continually inspires me, mate. So I really thank you for your time. I know you've got multiple uh, businesses now. You're moving in a lot of different directions, and I know your time is is really important. So I, we'll, we'll leave it there. And we didn't get to discuss footy and all that, but to be honest with you, I really wanted to people to know this side of Dean Treister. So, mate, thank you so much for your time, and I can't wait to Steve, see you let me, let, let me... Let me just say, mate, you are one of those people that has had a massive impact on my life. Even though we don't talk every week, every month or whatever, out of nowhere, um, we all talk to each other and it has such a positive impact at given at any given time, mate. And, oh, and that's that. where, again, you're in that bubble of, of uh, that inspiration and that, that ability to, to get through some of the hard times, mate. You and I have spoken many times, and, yep. and so I really cherish our friendship, mate. And I know it's going to go on forever. And love your family, mate. And you. uh, keep Thank doing you. what you're doing. Thank you so much, and uh, and and thanks everyone. That means a lot to me. And uh, and thanks everyone else for for listening as well. If you if you missed tonight, of course you can listen next Sunday morning, five thirty to seven a.m. Or of course on two ch digital as well. Or you can go to the 1170 SEN catch-up app, of course, and, and uh, all my interviews are there. We've had some great ones, and none better than this one, I've got to say. I've really appreciated Dino. But to the rest of you, I've been Jason Stevens. Have a great week, and you've been listening. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only. Listening to the Spirit of Sport.